You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Go ahead and grab a seat. If you have your Bible, I hope you do. Go ahead and turn to the book of Luke. And we're going to be in chapter 7 here in a minute. So you got Matthew, Mark, then Luke. So if you get to John, you've gone too far. Or Acts, like I just did. You're way too far. But Luke chapter 7. <laughs> And we're going to uh, continue this morning our series called The Book, where we're going through the Bible and should end in about September, yeah, about mid-September. Um, and it's been amazing. And now we're in Luke this week, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black Bible in the chair in front of you. You can grab that and take that, and it is now yours. And so you can put your name on it, do what you want. Um, Luke chapter 7. I- I've told this story uh, back in the day to, to middle schoolers. And so some of you have heard this and I apologize, but I got one life, right? So here I am. Um, but uh, in college, I went to the Baptist College of Florida, a very small school. And we had this kind of courtyard in the middle of the campus where we'd often go and just hang out or it was a good place to talk. And so one day my uh, best friend in college, Robbie, he and I were, were hanging out in the courtyard area. And there is a man named Ray that walked up. And let me tell you, Ray is an awesome dude. Ray is still serving the Lord. Um, he's a pastor, I believe in North Carolina, amazing man of God. And he, he grew up uh, in, and I should have I like emailed him or something and asked him exactly, but he grew up in the islands. And so he has a really, really cool accent. And I'm gonna try to replicate the way he talks. I don't mean, I'm not, I promise I'm not making fun. Like, Ray's an awesome dude, but I think knowing how he speaks, of course, I'm probably like, my version of his accent is not even close in reality, right? But um, I want you to kind of be able to experience what it would be like for someone who talked like him to come and ask you this question, okay? So again, I promise I'm not trying to make fun of him. Ray's awesome. So Robbie and I are hanging out talking, and Ray walks up. Also, I should say about Ray, Ray's one of those guys who's just always intense. So like, I'm always kind of hyper. Like I don't necessarily need coffee. I still drink it just to get crazy. But, but, but Ray is one of those guys who's just intense and serious about the Lord all the time, which is, it was not a bad thing, but just his intensity can be overwhelming. So uh, Robbie and I are hanging out and Ray walks right up to us. And why he chose Robbie over me to be his victim, I don't know. But Ray walks up to Robbie and he's like, Robbie, do you love God? <laughs> and Robbie says, uh, this is like no context, right? Just walks up and asks him that. And Robbie's like, I, yeah, I think so. No, 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 Robbie, do you love God? And Robbie says, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I love God. No, 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 Robbie, do you love God? To which Robbie responded, I, I don't know, Ray. <laughs> I don't know. Some of you, if, if, someone came to you and asked you that, you may have a similar response. Like, yeah, of course, I love God. But the more you thought about it and the more they kept pressing with this, do your law of God, you may back up and say, I, I, I think I do, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a fair question for us. It's a good question. Do you love God? Not just like, man, I know a lot of stuff. God's awesome. No, dude, I didn't ask you that. Do you love God? Not just, do you come to church? Which the answer, obviously, this morning is yes, here you are. <laughs> but not just do you love church, or sorry, not just, yeah, not just do you love church, do you love God? Not just do you try to keep your act together, 
but do you love God? That's actually, while it's a very important question that I hope by the end of this morning you've wrestled with, that's actually not the question that the text asks. And it's, I think it's better to ask questions that the Bible asks and not just make up things. But the, the question the Bible asks this morning and actually answers will help you wrestle with the question I started with, do you love God? So the question we really wanna ask this morning is, what leads to love for God? That's the bigger question. What leads, what brings you, what makes you, you could say, love God? Because if you can figure that out, then that'll help you figure out, help us figure out if we love God. Luke chapter seven, verse 36. Chapter seven, verse 36. What leads to love for God? Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. So this, a Pharisee is asking Jesus to come and eat with him. And just real quick, uh, if you're not sure what a Pharisee is, so they were incredibly serious and extreme and thorough about following the religious laws. And they even added some laws. So it wasn't just that, okay, we're gonna follow the the Torah. They actually added some laws just to make sure they didn't break any of the actual laws laws that God gave. Does it make sense? So it's like, if, if here is what God actually said in the Bible, they built this extra fence around those laws just to make sure they didn't break any of God's actual laws. And you could... Some were considered as having like a doctorate in the law, again, in the law of God. So if you're like, hey man, what's your PhD? And they'd be like, my PhD is in being spiritual. <laughs> it's being religious. Not, and not spiritual like Holy Spirit spiritual, like being spiritual, like trying to, trying to follow all the rules. And, and uh, you know what Jesus juke is? Where p- people are always super spiritual where you're like, man, I can't believe it's raining today. And they're like, you just need to be thankful to God for the rain. And you're like, I'm just saying, I can't believe it's raining. <laughs> So Pharisees wouldn't Jesus juke you, they would Jewish juke you, right? So like, no matter what you did, they could one-up you with how, how spiritual they were. They could one-up you, the Pharisees, with how Jewish they were. So this man, a Pharisee, invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I wanna pause again. So this picture of their, that's important, that they're reclining at the table, not like, we always think recline, <clears throat> lazy boy, kick back, feet up, recline, right? Like got your sweet tea in your hand. That's not the re- kind of reclining the Bible's talking about, recline. So at a banquet or feast, so not just a quick lunch, but this is more of a banquet setting. Uh, the table's down low and they had these little couches, we'll consider them like a pillow, down along the table. And they would, I'm not gonna actually get on the ground, but they would lean on their left elbow with their feet and their body stretched out behind them. And before they actually reclined, they would take off their shoes, take off their sandals and then lay down or lean, recline at the table. Do y'all get that picture? So they're all gathered around. You gotta have a strong left elbow to eat your meal for the entire time like that. Verse 37, a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So we've got this picture, you've got this banquet, this feast, you've got some important people. The Pharisee invites Jesus to eat with him. This, this is a big banquet, this is a big feast. Now why, we see later his name is Simon. Why Simon, why the Pharisee invited Jesus? It doesn't tell us. 
Maybe he was just trying to get his own honor by having the most famous person in town come and eat at his house. Jesus, come eat at my house. Maybe he was trying to figure Jesus out and kind of size him up. We're not exactly sure why Simon, the Pharisee, had Jesus over. But at these type of banquets, again, different culture than ours. We gotta remember that 2,000 years ago, different culture. At these banquets, often people who were technically uninvited would come and kind of sit on the outskirts or stand, excuse me, stand on the outskirts, outskirts and watch the people eating. So you got this picture, they're all at the table reclining. And then those who weren't really invited could come and stand around and just engage at this party. Kind of be like if, if um, I, don't, I don't know, this is weird, like Beyonce and Florida Georgia Line and President Biden came to Lubbock and had a big feast and we were welcome to come and just watch them eat. Some of you, especially you people who like read People Magazine, my wife, stuff like that, <laughs> They just chunked her right under the bus. Um, <laughs> you, might, you might go and just, and just watch, right? And just, and just see. I, I wouldn't necessarily have like an interest in that, but you might just go watch and see what's going on. That, that's kind of the picture here of like, man, we're just gonna go watch and, and kind of listen in to their conversation. The catch though, especially at a man like Simon, the Pharisee's house, a person who was described as a sinner would not be particularly welcome. The, the, the bouncer may not prevent them from coming in, but they're not necessarily encouraged to come to something like that because they're an outcast. When it says she's a sinner, it, it's likely that she was a prostitute. And that, that in that day and age, they're almost being courteous, but like, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna mention what she actually is. Does it make sense? Like, we're not gonna actually say it because of what she is. But she's an outcast. She's a sinner. She's known for, for not following the rules. She certainly does not have a PhD in religion. It's not who this woman is. So they're there at the table eating and others, including this woman, are, are scattered back watching. But she, almost towards the end of verse 37, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. What in the world? <laughs> Different culture, right? Jesus is sitting there eating. Again, he's leaning like this, so his feet are back behind him. And she comes up. We don't know if her original intent was to anoint his head or to anoint his feet with the perfume. Either one would have been, the head might have been more normal, but the feet would have been a complete sign of just humility and awe. Like even the lowest of slaves did not attend to someone's feet. And so maybe, that, maybe her original intent was to anoint his feet. But as they're talking, she comes and stands behind him and so overwhelmed with emotion, just being in the presence of Jesus, she begins to weep. It says, her tears fall and land on his feet. A lot of commentary, I'd never thought about this before, but as I was studying this, a lot of, Theologians, commentators said that likely it wasn't that her original intent was to come and just like force herself to cry over his feet. 
But as she, again, unplanned, began spontaneous, that's the word, spontaneously began to cry and weep and her tears fell on his feet that her natural response, oh my gosh, I need to clean him up, let down her hair, perhaps her hair was already down and begin to, to try to dry his feet. Talk about humility. And she takes the, the perfume and, and anoints his feet because, which in that culture for sure was a sign of, of reverence, of awe, of respect. So she had come to show reverence and awe and respect for Jesus, but her heart can't stop there. She overflows with love and emotion and begins to weep because her heart has been so impacted by Jesus that she can't help but weep in his presence. Well, as different as their culture was, even in that culture, that was a little bit odd. <laughs> the fact that Jesus is letting this woman, while they're all eating, wash his feet with her hair and her tears and then anoint them with perfume catches the host's attention. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, by the way, notice he said to himself, so he's not saying it out loud, he's talking within. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. Remember in the Jewish culture, and this, if anybody knows the Jewish laws, it's, it's Simon. For a sinner, someone who's unclean to touch you in their minds, made you unclean, made you dirty. So he says, Jesus, he must not be a prophet because he clearly doesn't know who this woman is because he's letting this woman touch him. You know, that's what self-righteous people do. They have these little conversations in their heads, don't they, with themselves. So they see other people and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know none of us have ever done that, right? You're kind of sizing them up. Well, Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. Jesus replied to him, verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. Don't you know that had to snap Simon back into attention? Like you're over there just judging, judging this lady, judging Jesus. And all of a sudden Jesus is like, hey, Simon, I need, I need to say something to you. What? <laughs> say it, teacher. 41. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarius was a, uh, about equal to a, a day's wage. So what you would make in a day. One owed 500 and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. Do you hear the reluctance in his answer? Like this is not, this is not hard math, right? Which one's better, <laughs> 200 or 50? <laughs> I suppose he's reluctant to admit it. Jesus says, you have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, which would have been appropriate if you were hosting an honored guest, you would have water for their feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. So again, in that time, an honored guest comes to a house, even just a friend, it was typical, you greet them with a kiss, right? We don't do that in Texas, we shake hands, but 
That's what you would do. Simon didn't do that. This woman though will not stop kissing the feet of Jesus as she's weeping. Verse 46, you didn't anoint my head with olive oil, which is the cheapest, most plentiful oil they had there. I say cheapest, one of the cheaper oils they had, very plentiful. And it was common when a guest came, you would, you would anoint their head with oil as a sign of blessing. Simon didn't do that. But she has anointed my feet with perfume, which is much more costly. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You, you read it wrong if you read it like, oh man, so she, she went and she wept over Jesus and so that's what made her saved because she loved Jesus. No, the whole point of the parable, that the story that Jesus tells, the whole point is that love for Jesus is a response to forgiveness, right? What leads to love for Jesus? Experiencing the forgiveness of Jesus. That's the, that's the point of the story. I love the Jerusalem Bible translation. Uh, I think it has a helpful translation of when in verse 47, the idea is that therefore I tell you her many sins, which were many, clearly have been forgiven because of how she loves. So that showing that man, her, her love is evidence that she's experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. So here's the deal. It's actually a really simple story. If you don't love Jesus, you know about him, think he's an okay guy, but you don't love him, then you've not experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. That, the phrase, uh, the one who's forgiven little loves little, don't take that too, too woodenly, meaning like too, I don't wanna say little, but too uh, choppy. What that doesn't mean is, well, you know, people who walk with the Lord, people who do the right thing, righteous people, man, because they don't sin much, they don't, they're not gonna ever love God very much. So you know what you should do? You should go sin more. Like, and if you go sin more, then you'll love God because then he'll forgive you and you go sin again. That's stupid, right? That's not what he's saying. The point is, is listen, the more righteous you think you are, the more you think you have it together, the less ability you're gonna have to love Jesus because your self-righteousness blinds you from the grace and the mercy of Jesus. To know the forgiveness of Jesus is to love Jesus. That's what leads to love. So we started off with a question, do you love God? But I think there's actually a more important question. We're gonna put it on the screen. The more important question is, am I forgiven? Are you forgiven? If you don't love Jesus, then this passage would tell us, then you've not been forgiven. And hey, look, at, look here real quick. This is not like, oh man, I, I, thought I, I thought I surrendered to Christ. Maybe he didn't forgive me. No, when you surrender your life to Christ, you're saved by grace through faith, he forgives you. It's, it's for sure. There's no question about it. 
So the question is not, man, Jesus, did you do your part? No, the point is, have you turned to Christ for salvation? Because when you do, you will be forgiven. You will be saved. And that forgiveness results in what? Love. Thank you. Yeah. Results in love for God. So are you forgiven? Maybe it, this is helpful. Which, which one are you more like? Are you more like Simon or are you more like the woman? See, Simon, this is not about gender, by the way. <laughs> Simon was a very religious person, had tons of scripture memorized. From the outside, you would think, man, that dude, like, does he ever sin? Like, man, that dude is like, has it together. But he didn't love Jesus. You can know scripture, you can attend church a lot, you can, in the world's eyes, quote, be a good person. That doesn't mean you've been forgiven. Because <laughs> you're forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through turning to him for salvation. So that's the, that's the, um, the most maybe interesting, interesting thing about Christianity. Is that you become right with God in a right relationship with God. You're forgiven of your sins, can now have a relationship with him. Not when you get it all together, but rather you come into a right relationship with God when you humbly admit that you'll never get it all together. <laughs> that you need Jesus. Are you forgiven? You know, Jesus, think about in several places in the, in the gospels, Jesus said of the Pharisees, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, we can come and play games at church, but Jesus is not fooled by that. He's not like, oh, you sang a worship song? Oh, you must love me, bro. No, he sees to your heart. Have you been forgiven? You know, I think it's kind of funny. If you, if you look back and look, even just to verse uh, 34, talk about how Jesus was accused. They were like, look, Jesus, you, you're, what's wrong with you? You're a friend of sinners. You go eat at sinner's house. And then I think Luke is having a little fun, a little fun here, a little irony. The very next verse, verse 36, then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. What is, what is, what is this Pharisee? What is Simon? He is a, come on, he's a sinner. Yeah, don't miss the irony there. You, Jesus, you go eat with sinners. Hey, you wanna come eat at my house? Simon was a sinner in need of the saving grace of Jesus. Are you forgiven? Jesus offers it. If you'll simply turn from your sin and turn to him and say, Jesus, I, I'm a broken person. I, I, I can't fix myself. Jesus, would you save me? I realize that you died and you rose again and offered me forgiveness and hope and life and salvation. If I'll turn to you, Jesus, would you be Lord of my life? There is no if, maybe he'll forgive you. No, he will forgive you. Amen, church? That said, as believers, to so those of you who would say, you know what, like, I know I'm forgiven. I can look at times of my life. I know I love Jesus. I know I've been forgiven. I know I'm a Christian. Those people, which are a lot of us in this room, even still, wouldn't you agree that there are times in your life where it seems like the love in your heart for Jesus is kind of blocked a little bit? You know what I mean? Or it's just like, it's, it's lagging, it's not there. It's not as maybe vibrant as it used to be. I, I wanna, based off of what we see in this text and what we learn about forgiveness leading to love, 
for Jesus, I, I wanna ask three quick questions, or I want you to ponder three questions that maybe help stir love or get those rivers of love flowing again for Jesus. So here's the first question I want you to consider, believer. It'll be on the screen. Am I denying or minimizing sin? Am I denying or minimizing sin? You don't develop a love for Jesus by denying sin. That's one thing this passage teaches us for sure. (laughs) Again, the more that you think of yourself, I would say quantitatively and qualitatively, the more you think of yourself, the less you're gonna think of Jesus. I love what... um, Olin Stubb says, he's a writer, he says, a small view of our sin always leads to a small view of our savior. See, if you have a, a small view of your sin as a Christian, it's kind of, well, Jesus just, he just kind of, I was already pretty good. He just kind of polished me up. He kind of cleaned me up. So I don't, I don't really need him as much as, you know, people, other people do. <laughs> See, a small view of sin leads to a small view of Jesus. But when you realize, man, I, I'm a broken mess and yet Jesus loves me and for, has forgiven me at least to a, a, a more accurate view of Jesus. So are you denying or minimizing sin? It's not gonna help you love Jesus more. At the same time, obsessing over your sin won't help you love Jesus more either. Here's the second question. Am I getting my glance and my gaze Right, here's what I mean. I'm actually kind of still in that language from an author named John Bloom. But are you, are you getting your glance and your gaze right? So are you, this is appropriate. What we should do is okay, glance, acknowledge my sin, and then gaze, fix our eyes, set our focus on the finished work of Jesus. Are tracking with that? I, this is Hazel, Hazel, sorry, Brandon talking. I for sure struggle, my wife can tell you, I struggle with getting my glance and my gaze right. I'm prone to, to gazing at my sin and then just glancing at Jesus. And I'm like, I'm, uh, Matt Chandler calls it navel gazing. I'm just so messed up, I'm so broken. Jesus, thanks for loving me, but I'm so broken, I'm so sinful. That's not helpful. And that's not what Colossians says. That's not setting my heart and mind on things above. That's, that's actually self-centeredness, right? That's selfishness. Are you getting your glance and your gaze right? Am I, yes, acknowledge I'm a broken, sinful person, but dadgummit, what's more important is Jesus came to save me anyways. <laughs> See, I think even this whole uh, glance and gaze, like if I'm always wondering, am I worthy, am I worthy? That's a stupid question, because you're not worthy, right? Glance at, yeah, I'm not worthy, I'm broken, sinful, and gaze at, in spite of my unworthiness, Jesus came to die for me, Amen? When I get my glance and my gaze right, it reminds me of forgiveness and it springs up love in my heart for Jesus if I've already experienced that forgiveness. I mentioned John Bloom a second ago. I love what he says. We will love God to the degree we recognize the magnitude of our sins and to recognize, yeah, I'm a broken, simple, messed up person. Recognize that and recognize the immensity of God's grace to forgive them. These sins are massive, but dude, look at God's grace. I always go back. I know it's kind of old now, but I love the uh, David Carter song. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Like I get overwhelmed by my sin and how messed up it is. And God's like, I've drowned it in the ocean. You can't even see it anymore, bro. My love, my grace is that big. It's that deep. Are you getting your glance and your gaze right? Now I have one third Final question, I guess really fourth, because am I forgiven was the first one, but for believers, a third final question. Here it is. Am I living in light of who 
Jesus is? Am I living in light of who Jesus is? What, what do I mean by that? Luke, uh, did I write this down in my Bible? It's Luke 5. Um, yeah, Luke 5, 31. Jesus replied to them. Sorry, I'll let you get there. <laughs> 531, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And here's the key, verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for all the spiritual religious people who are perfect, because there are none of those. <laughs> he came for sinners. He came for broken people. As Christians, I think we can often, like we come to Jesus, we recognize, man, I'm broken, I'll never have it together. So we surrender to Christ. And then it's like we think Jesus has this Jekyll and Hyde thing going on that now we're Christian. He's like, you listen here, you better be perfect or I'm gonna come down there. Like, that's not who he is. Scripture describes him as gentle and lowly. He's rich in mercy. John says that Jesus came in grace and truth, Right? Not with truth and a lightning bolt, thunder bro. No, he said that twice in a week. Daggummit, sorry, two times the past two weeks. Sorry, I'll stop saying thunder bro. Uh, he came in grace and truth. He's rich in mercy. He's, there's an author, we're gonna, in a, not yet, in a second, I'm gonna put a quote on the screen. But uh, Dane C. Orland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. You should for sure read it. It's an amazing book, Gentle and Lowly. For sure worth your time. But one thing he talks about is the accessibility of Jesus. That is great. Even though there's never been anyone or never will be anyone as grand and glorious and majestic as Jesus. At the same time, no one is as accessible as Jesus because he is gentle and lowly and he longs for people to come and bring their brokenness to him. So again, the question is, are you living in light of who Jesus is? And I wanna pack that, what I mean, why that connects to love if I get this idea that Jesus is just mad at me all the time and, he, and he, he's so impatient because I'm a broken sinner and still struggling to grow, he's so impatient with me. If I live in light of that, I'm not living in light of forgiveness and, and then I'm not gonna love, right? What is it? The, I can't remember which Psalm. The, Psalm, the book of Psalms says, uh, Psalm 130 something says that uh, with you there is forgiveness, therefore, Therefore, you are feared. So because God forgives, because God is gracious, gracious and loving, therefore, we fear him. We are in awe of him. We love him. Are you living in light of that Jesus? We're gonna put this quote on the screen again from Dane C. Ortland in the book. I know it's massive, but, uh, big paragraph. I'll read it for you. It says that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not, help oh me, this is so good. If, you're, if, you're, if you've been asleep the whole time, you should wake up right now, okay. This is so good, I'm gonna start over. <laughs> that God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe most, make him hug hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous, which means it's generous and forgiving, especially toward a rival or less powerful person. I had no idea what magnanimous meant, so I had to tell you there. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. 
It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy rich heart we had. That'll preach. Your brokenness is why Jesus came. If you could have it all together and be perfect, he wouldn't have had to come down the cross. But he, come because, he came because we're broken, sinful creatures. And he knows that we're gonna struggle to the day we're with him. I'll finish with this. It's too good to not say. The signpost to God's love in this passage, because again, his love, his forgiveness is what causes us to love him. The, sign, the greatest signpost to the greatest demonstration of his love is in a question that the people ask, not a question I have on the screen. Verse 49, those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Who is this guy? That was a fair question. It was a really good question. Because to the Jews, they knew that only a priest who had just offered a sin offering on behalf of a person, of course, he had to get himself all sin offering up first anyways, but only a priest who had just, off, just offered a sin offering for a person could tell a person, your sins are forgiven. I've offered this sin offering, okay, at least for a little bit, your sins are forgiven. How could Jesus tell this woman, your sins are forgiven? He, he, did, he didn't just go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. How could he do that? Because he is the sacrifice. Amen? That's how he could do it. That's how he could say, hey, go, hey gal, hey hun, your sins are forgiven because I'm gonna die on the cross for your sins. I'm the perfect once for all, final and forever, it's done, sacrifice. That's how much he loves you. So when you experience that kind of love that Jesus literally died for you, you experience that kind of forgiveness, it will stir up in your heart love for him. May we be like the slave trader, slave owner turned pastor John Newton said, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a much greater savior. We're gonna have a time of response this morning and we've been doing this and y'all been doing awesome. This is really cool. We're trying to create a culture of not just, all right, now the sermon's over, now we're just standing here and singing a little bit, but actually like wrestling and, and uh, not yeah, wrestling with God, listening to him, responding to him. And here's some ways that may look like. I'm gonna kind of unpack this and then we're gonna sing and respond. That could be, first of all, there are gonna be some folks down front this morning, uh, some staff in a minute after I pray. And at any point during this song, they would love to talk with you. They love to pray with you. Like, I've got a question or man, I'm really wrestling with, I'm, am I forgiven? Or I'm really wrestling with like getting my glance and my gaze right. They would love to pray with you. Maybe this morning you're, you're realizing, man, I've not been forgiven. I've never turned to Christ for salvation. You don't have to like come and have someone like pray over you. You can just talk to God right there and surrender your life to him. But these folks on here would love to know that you are surrendering to Christ, surrendering to Christ this morning and love to follow up with you and help you begin to walk with Jesus. For probably a lot of us responding this morning, maybe could be coming down front to the, to the altar to, to pray, could be standing at your chair, sitting at your chair and wrestling with those three questions. Am I living in light of who Jesus is? Jesus, would you help me? 
Maybe you need to come to the altar and say, Jesus, help me to quit focusing on myself and get my gaze on you, to focus on you. Whatever it is, Jesus is ready and willing to talk with you. I'm gonna pray for us. And as soon as I finish praying, we're gonna sing a song. As we sing, I would invite you and urge you to respond accordingly. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being the perfect once for all sacrifice. Now that we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, for forgiving us to make even knowing you and loving you possible. Lord, I pray as we sing this song that you would stir our hearts for you. I pray that, Lord, folks would be saved, that maybe if folks have some stuff kind of blocking love in their heart, that they would wrestle with those questions we gave. And, and if that means praying down front or standing at their chair, whatever, God, that you would help them to meet with you. Or if that means just singing this song and, and declaring the glorious truth of who you are, that we have a great high priest, Lord, would you lead them to do that? God, we love you. We're grateful for your word and thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus, we pray. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 